Handball is great, isn't it? Unless you're a Dane. (laughs) I think, uh, once again, the Friday night games, the semi-finals of this Euro show that you literally cannot take anything for granted in this sport. And in particular, the Danes have learned the hard way. Welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour, our penultimate one of EHF Euro 2022. It's the semi-final review, final preview. And it's Chris here with Alex. Hey, Chris. No, Brian, at the moment, because he is busy at the media call this Saturday morning. But we will hear from him as he spoke to Walter Krins after the Sweden-France game last night. But we'll start at the start with Iceland-Norway. No, we won't. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's worth skipping that one. But I have a a question for you, Chris. Okay, go on. Um, Do you feel rested uh, or or do you feel a little bit tired because we maybe you should have taken, taken a little break? You know, a couple of podcasts ago, maybe you could have missed a podcast and been really fresh going into this big <laughs> semi-final podcast and bring, been ready to like bring in the subs, you know, yeah, bring in yeah. the subs, yeah. get a, get a few people in, uh, miss a podcast. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> we don't have a Nicholas Kirkalaka, uh, for the podcast, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that proved to be a shite idea for Denmark. <laughs> Who would have known? Huh? <laughs> we said it. So he said yeah. momentum is really important and it's important for the morale of a team. It's important for the way a team approaches each each game, wakes up every morning and a knockback like that. Not a good idea because no. they could have even avoided Spain. Uh, we could be talking about a, a Denmark finalist here. Yeah. And, you know, when you consider... Denmark definitely would have had the psychological advantage over Sweden as well going into that game based on the World Championship final last year, based on the team's forms and and the similarities in the style of play and the style of players they have. But they decided to go the Spain route. And, you know, at the end, I'm glad. We have to give props to Brian. He went for, went for Spain more <laughs> for the balance of things. But honestly, as the game drew nearer, he became more convinced that Spain were going to win. And the, the more I thought about it, of course, I thought Denmark were going to win in the end. But you cannot count them out. And it's easy to say afterwards. But they just find a way. And they looked so different to the way they were in the whole championship. But when it comes to the final weekend, they just switched it on. And those individual performances, I mean, Gonzalo Perez of Vargas, first of all, I mean, that can happen. Of course, he can have an amazing game. That's what you expect from him. But the semi-retired Johan Canelas <laughs> and Jorge Maqueda pulling out what they pulled out was just, it was extraordinary. No, I, I wouldn't say it was individual performances. It was a true team performance that really won for Spain. We'll go into what the, the defense was made up of and how it worked. But at stages, especially in that second half, it felt like they were in a flow state, mm. that mythical flow state where everything just worked. Every movement was in sync with every single player on the court. 
And the times where it was in sync, they had Gonzalo Perez mm-hmm. to Vargas to save them. There, I want to ask you about the defense in the moment because that, well, first of all, they, they prepared perfectly for that Denmark team and every single player that they were going to face. Take that away in the opening 20 minutes, Denmark were by far the better team. I said it in the commentary as well with about three minutes left in the first half. It was like Denmark will feel like a three goal lead is the least they deserve in this situation going into the break. And it was fluctuating between two, three, four goals. And I was like, if Spain can make it a two goal game just before the break, that'll be perfect for them. That's they've snatched something here. That was the situation until Miguel Hansen whips that ball across to the left and Alex Gomez gets the steal. Empty net to shoot into all of a sudden one goal game at the break. That for me was the complete turning point of it. Spain went into the half then saying, holy shit, we've been outplayed here. There was a period in that first half when Gonzalo was absent as well. They were the second best team, but we're only one goal behind. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that comes down to the way Nicholas Landin started the game. Um, he was actually six saves from the first 10 mm. shots. So that, that made that gap for Denmark and you know Spain just again didn't look that good like like I said in the preview Spain aren't that good sometimes and they were relying on wild shots from Casado they had nothing going in attack and then suddenly suddenly momentum shifted a little bit I think Alex Gomez was a big part of that momentum shift because he was a big driver of everything the steals the the kind of wing shots, the fast breaks, the fast restarts. Yeah. He was just everywhere. He, he, yeah, I mean, he scored two goals in the left back position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was literally everywhere. And there was even a moment where the, the ball, I think it was a second wave fast break, and the ball uh, moved around to the left and it was dropped by a player. Mm-hmm. And then for some reason, Alex Gomez picked it up on the line and scored yeah. on the left side of the court. Yeah. I was like, what are you even doing there, exactly. Alex Gomez? <laughs> I know, he was just everywhere. And his his contribution in, in defense and every like the whole defense itself, but I felt like particularly him and, and his threatening to steal every single time made Hansen think twice about everything and, and doubt himself about those passes and made everyone. Like everyone just like they held on in, in the Danish attack for another split second every single time and that just added up into a complete lack of flow for yeah. Denmark in attack and uh, yeah it was extraordinary so talk to me about this Spanish defence thing so the, the defence was absolutely incredible and Jordi Rivera is just a tactical mastermind it's it's incredible to watch because he knew all of the dangers that um, Denmark posed and that's primarily starting with Mikkel Hansen and moving the ball really quick to Giesel on the right back. And when Giesel gets at that speed, then the defences in front of him break, whether it's going one-on-one, whether it's beating a player and then passing it on the other way and Hansen finishing. So what uh, Spain did was basically cut out that pass towards Giesel. They, they, they were quite aggressive mm. there. They knew that Mikkel Hansen's going to receive the ball standing. So they step back on him. And then for large periods of the game, they tried to say, okay, Mikkel Hansen's going to pass to whoever is the center player, yeah. Mads Mensa Larsen, for example. And they're just like, okay, if Mads Mensa Larsen can beat us and we have two two meter tall 
uh, center blocks here and uh, pairs the Vargas and goals, then then we'll we lose the game. We'll take our chances with that. Mm. And um, that didn't happen. And it meant that a lot of time it was a standing Mikko Hansen passing to a moving Masmens Larsen or um, Jakob Holm at, at times mm. or Rasmus Lauga. And they were going at speed. They had lots of space. They had opportunities, but they couldn't pass the Giesel because there was a player standing out. The line player was isolated. There was space on the wings, but the Spanish wing defenders are so active. It's yeah. a very dangerous pass to give that. And, you know, these guys in the center were like, okay, I'm going to take the shot. Yeah. And then when Denmark moved kind of Hansen into the center, again, it was, it was Hansen on his own trying to make the decisions, but the Spanish defense is just buzzing all around him. And that led to many technical errors. And maybe that's a potentially poor performance from Hansen. Yeah. But I wouldn't blame him too much. He had five turnovers, which is a lot. And three of them directly led to goals. But it's just that buzzing defense. Yeah, yeah bravo. It feels like, you know, on reflection, Denmark could have used their bench a lot better when you have, you know, Jakob Holm played for a couple of minutes. And... Lars Anderson not used at all. Kirkelucke not used at all. That was a game where you needed maybe your left and right backs to pepper a few shots in. And there's a comparative you know, element to the, the what Sweden did at the start of the game to remind France with Carlsbergard, yeah, we can shoot from outside. Mm-hmm. And maybe Denmark needed that instead of trying to play the same way. Um, because Gietzel is not going to, he doesn't want to shoot from 10 meters. He tried to break through, wasn't happening. And um, yeah, then you put on the big boys, Lass Anderson, letting a 140 kilometer shot rip. Even if it goes wide, it reminds you yeah. that you have to come out and then opens up space elsewhere. But it was they almost froze a little bit tactically. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, for Giesel, he also just one more point is that Spain switched their defense so many times. They went with a 5-1 defense, then individually marking Giesel, but they would only individually mark Giesel for like two attacks and then switch back. So Denmark could never really figure them out. And Spain just had like six variations of the same defense, which even included having two defensive specialists coming on in Pacina and Mingalon. But they would do it really gradually, you know, make the first stop with one defensive specialist and then bring on the second one when uh, play stopped. So it was so well thought through. And Giesel had a game with just six shots, scoring three of them. Mm -hmm. And it is the first time in uh, major championship history that Giesel has missed three shots. Wow. If you exclude the Olympics, (laughs) because he did that twice in the Olympics. (laughs) But excluding the Olympics, we have two Euros and a world championship. And it's the first time he's missed three shots. Okay. Finally, then, just because you said about the different tactical variations, Kaneas spoke about that in the post-match TV interview as well. And uh, at the end of it, though, I liked what he said. He's like, and then we have Gonzalo. Yeah. (laughs) And and, and that was it, because what worked for Denmark at the end is when they went to the seven-on-six attack and they made three gaps on the left wing. They're really well-worked, completely open shots on the left wing, all saved by... Or missed. Or missed, but yeah. two saved, one missed from Paris de Vargas. And that's it. You don't come back from that. That's it. So Spain through to the fourth final in a row in the Euro. Uh, shouldn't surprise us, but it still surprised me. And in a in a good way in the end. I mean, it feel bad for Denmark in this scenario, but they did it to themselves as well. They were invited into a trap yeah, and they fell into it. 
well and truly and a lot of uh, i think a lot of ref- reflection now for the danes and how they how they approach championships and the squad and uh yeah i mean for a team they should have won it i mean based purely on the players alone the form not they didn't deserve to win this game but uh on the whole championship as a whole there there's no excuses for them not to have pulled this off and uh finally on jorge Makeda. What a man. There's no player in the world who transforms from when he's one centimeter outside nine meters to when he's one centimeter inside nine meters. Every time he shot from outside, I was like, no, what are you doing? He can't shoot. He needs to be punched in the face in order to actually get a shot off. He's uh, he's a beast of a man and uh, bravo to him as well. Him and uh, and Kineos and, and the shots in the first half from Casado, like you said, they were pinpoint accurate off the post they needed that and uh and alish gomez is uh the whole squad like you said it's too many players to 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 single out but i I feel like i need to name check some of them yeah i think a little bit more on canaeus and he actually he posted a picture of his shoes before Mm. the game um and i talked about it to merle shach after the game but uh he had these custom-made shoes made with um a drawing of a phoenix on them and that was to signify his him being reborn, coming out of the ashes after missing the Olympics. So he wasn't selected for Olympics, which would have been pretty heartbreaking mm. for him um, as that was such a big goal for Spain. And then also coming out of COVID in this competition, he rose like a phoenix really and good. he was there when Spain really needed him. And he looks he looks rejuvenated. Absolutely. Looks like a, a new man. So uh, we move on to the other semifinal. Think so. Yeah, uh, maybe we before we could do that. Uh, Sweden, of course, won that one, and maybe we hear from one of the heroes of the last few days and bring Brian's contribution in for this podcast. He spoke after Sweden's win to Walter Kritz. Are these the kind of games that you live for as a handball player? Of course, of course. This is this is why we play. I think uh, these big games and with uh, a lot of uh, spectators and uh, like you say, it's a, it's a big game. Uh, and I'm really happy that we won. At the, the end of it, there it was it was getting quite messy. I, I don't know what exactly it went on. Could you really put into words maybe the last 30 seconds was going on? Uh, was I messy. don't know. I think everyone was nervous. We didn't want to lose the ball. Uh, they were really high and they were doing a really good job. Uh, they were. Uh, a lot of pressure on us and we do too many mistakes so they have the opportunity to make a tie but uh, we have Balika in the goal and he's uh, he's a hero today. It seemed like he was not only saving but he was also hyping up the team a lot. I saw the halftime he was really pumped for the whole thing. Is he, is he a bit of a motivational figure also in, in behind the, of course. the camera? Yeah, of course, of course. He's, he's the captain. He's, uh, he's doing a really good job uh, outside the cameras also. Uh, I think the, the, the game he do today is amazing. He's, he's a, one of the best goalkeepers in the world and he shows it today. Uh, doesn't matter how many saves he has, uh, it's just the, the important ones who is, uh, who is the, the best. So today he took the last shot and that was the most important. That, that's why we win. So it's been quite a personal roller coaster for you, taking the penalty in the last game and then today playing also well. And it just, it's, I, I've never seen you smile so much in your life. It's, it must be quite the experience for you also. Of course, uh, I was playing I, I played the World Championship, uh, championship, championship uh, last year, uh, but I didn't have this, how uh, uh, say, this big role in the team. I was I was behind uh, Daniel Peterson, and now I, 
if you say luck or uh, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, maybe the wor uh, wrong word, but now I have the opportunity to play more, and then I feel like I got a lot of experience in these games, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just happy that I'm, I'm in the team and uh, that we play the final tomorrow. And uh, so Spain, have you watched much of them over the tournament, or have you paid much attention to what's going on with Spain? Because it seems like. There was a lot of questions about their attack maybe not as being as good as it used to be, but then today maybe they put that completely to bed with, after beating Denmark. Yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't matter. It feels like it doesn't matter how uh, which players they have. They play a, a game or a handball who is really difficult to play against. They they're really good to take the tempo down and then uh, just explode. Uh, and this will be really difficult for us. They are really good to find the. The tempo in the game to play slow or to play high. Uh, so it, it, this is a good, uh, good team, and they have always been. Uh, so, like I said, they, they beat Denmark, who has been uh, looking really, really good. So it's going to be a tough, uh, tough game, but there's also uh, we are also playing about the gold medal. So of course. Tomorrow off, will you be able to get one beer in at least, or is it no beer at all? <laughs> this, this, I'm, I'm the youngest guy in the team, so I'm not the one who is deciding this. Uh, but maybe, maybe not. Uh, it feels like it doesn't matter if you win. I think there is going to be a lot of uh, beers after. Yeah, it Enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. So, Walter, the hero a few days ago against Norway. A lot of new heroes for this team, for Sweden today, or yesterday, against France. Jim Gottfriedsen. Jag er Sverige. <laughs> he must have been shouting at various points, I am Sweden, as you mentioned <laughs> in the podcast uh, a couple of days ago, and Andreas Palika. But again, I, it feels like a game, and a very similar game in a lot of ways, although the handball was much better, like as a spectacle. But France come firing out of the blocks and just leave Sweden really struggling. I think the first five goals, none of them were from a set attack. And, and France came out really looking inspired. What happened then? <laughs> um, it's, it's tough to know. Um, I think three goals for Palika in empty yeah. net goals. Uh, that does tend to change the course of a match. Um, so that's kind of tactical mistakes. Uh, or technical mistakes from France uh, when they were in control. It, it was difficult to pinpoint. Again, Sweden in this whole tournament have just been so methodical in the way they play the game. They never get phased. They just do the same thing over and over again. And at the start, you know, they're, they're shooting. Carlsberg or wasn't um, uh, wasn't at the races. Yeah, but I felt like they needed him to but, do that, yeah, right? It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, because the first few minutes there were there was turnovers with passes weren't great, and he wasn't shooting. And then he was like, they had the timeout. Glenn Solberg took the timeout this time, not Jim Gottfriedson. He was like, right, it's okay, we're losing five one, but it's because of three three mistakes, three counter attack goals. Uh, otherwise, we're fine. Let's <laughs> just be a bit smarter. And uh, Gottfriedson told to. Get his shit together, you know, man up and uh, take some shots. Cracked one off the crossbar, then he scored. Then he scored again, and then it was like, okay, we're actually in this game. We have, we can shoot from the outside. We can make things happen elsewhere. And uh, yeah, they just needed some time. But it was a, it was a perfect like example of how momentum will eventually 
come around. Like no team is going to blow you out of the water at this level for the entire 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, for, France came out really strong, but uh, when the momentum shifted then and, you know, from 5-1 up to 11-10 down. And uh, yeah, like you said, Sweden was so methodical. Goalkeeping was brilliant. And they, they just became, you know, relentless in attack as well. And that was the word I, I thought with Ian Gottfried's and he was relentless. Yeah. He, every single, he was like, you're not going to be able to stop me every time. You may stop me eight times in a row, but then the next four times I'm going to get you. Yeah. And, oh, it must be such a ball ache to face him, <laughs> right? Oh, I'd hate it. <laughs> You'd have to be just, oh, you, you have to be on the ball all the time. And uh, again, France's center block wasn't really yeah. up to it. You know, I'm not going to blame France too much in this game, actually, because they had a pretty good game. Mm. You know, they they played well. The handball was good. The handball was good. Um, They didn't make too many mistakes. They had a couple of people not show up. Uh, M. Yeah, that's a bit. Your meme was just two days too early. I was was 30 minutes of handball too early. Were you you considering posting it again during the game? (laughs) The quote tweeting it saying, well... See, it was even more relevant for this game because he was two from five in the first half Mm. and zero from one in the second half. He completely disappeared. He He didn't didn't want it but yeah. a player who did want it was Amrik Meen fuck me wow I'm so happy for him because ever since I probably saw him for the first time at Nantes last season where he you know, came out of injury and was phenomenal I'm waiting to see him like he's grown into the championship this was like I said it over and over again it's like where was he in the first <laughs> half oh Melvin Richardson did alright you know but <laughs> it was a bad that was, on, in hindsight, a bad decision to start with the two lefties in the backcourt. Mm. I could see why they tried it because it worked in the second half against Denmark. Um, it was a kind of the safer choice in the end. Emre Kameen, though, he really exploded. What a performance. I mean, that yeah. performance didn't deserve to, to lose. And as the game wore on, you could see Karabatic and Mem were just like, no, we need to give the ball yeah. to Emre and we have to see what he can do. And it didn't go yeah, amazing. It's, it's really amazing and uh, just really glad to see him in the picture for mm. France. He's been on the outside for way too long, uh, I think. Uh, many people in France would agree with that. But um, also just back to Sweden. I don't know how they do it because every they face so many setbacks. You know, at one stage, the team on the court was... Um, so we had Pelas on the left wing, mm. Valinius on the left back, Gottfriedson in the middle, um, right back was Ersson, and then right wing, Valder Krins, and on the line there was Oscar Bernal. None of those players started the first game for Sweden in this championship. And maybe that's a reason why they've <laughs> actually reinvigorated themselves mm. and are playing so well now because they have these young talents or just players on the edge who want something to prove. And that seems to have worked for them so many times where they face a setback, get some new players in, and those players just light it up. Yeah. Carl Valinius had <sighs> two shots in the whole tournament so far, missed both of them. He's played about 15 minutes, four from four, nine-meter shots. What was more impressive than that for me 
was that in the first half, he got in really quick succession two two-minute suspensions, mm. playing opposite Dikamem, right? The most dangerous guy to like slip away from you, arm around the neck, two-minute suspension. Mm. Game over for him. One more two-minute two suspension, but Glenn Solberg put him back in and he played another 20 minutes of defense and attack without getting that third suspension yeah. while then producing those four goals, which is mind-blowing for the, for him. And I don't know where the inspiration came from to put him in there. I think in the end, like Eric Jonsson wasn't available. That might have been the best thing to happen to Sweden because he is a bit of a loose cannon. He's moving to Kiel, by the way. Revealed today. <laughs> I did see that. And uh, he's one for the future. But Valenius and Persson coming in. And I love the Montpellier derby aspect <laughs> of it because both of them playing for Montpellier. And then opposite them was, uh, was they had Yanis Len, Valentin Port, and, uh, and Melvin Richardson, who had just moved away from Montpellier. So there was a lot of uh, familiar faces. One really nice moment when uh, Yanis Len missed the shot and down the other end, he got a tap on the back, like a, a consolatory tap on the back from, uh, from uh, Lucas Pellas, which is really like in this situation, really lovely. Don't worry, pal. We get it next time, um, but but we but have yeah. to talk about the real reason why France lost, and the real reason, uh, the real difference between the two teams, and that was the goalkeepers. Yeah, quite simply, for the second put, year in a row for the second uh, year in a row, the goalkeepers were the huge difference, and the, the so the French pairing of uh, Gerard and Pardan had a safe percentage of just over 10%. Really poor. But I think the stat that really stood out for me was that Sweden had 13 nine-meter shots. They scored eight of them. But when you dig into that, the five shots that Sweden uh, missed were not saves. They're when the ball wasn't framed. Yeah. (laughs) So every time much. Sweden from nine meters took a shot on target, it went in eight from eight. Mm. And at this level, that's just inexcusable. You yeah. can't allow that. You can't allow a team to do that to you. Yeah. And um, on the other side, Palika was just incredible. He was in his just amazing fired up form where he's just making incredible saves and not just, again, not, not just the simple saves, the really tough saves. And at the end, France could have taken it to extra time. Yeah, after all that. After all that, yeah. Sweden were two goals up with about 45 seconds to go when they made two technical mistakes. The first one resulted in goal four, mean, and then the second one. Save. What a save by Belika. Yeah. Just, like, imagine doing that. So what Palika did was, in the space that it takes Luca, uh, Ludovic Fabregas to shoot the ball from three meters away, he did the splits and sat, and on, the sat ball. on the ball. Can you just, like, try thinking of doing that? You know, you can't even do imagine, the splits, like, like, imagine being I'm able not sure to I can do even that. sit on a ball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Imagine trying to like sit uh, down yeah. in that period of time. Incredible. Yeah. Um, what a hero. And uh, Andreas Palika had the post-match interview on TV. And, you know, first of all, he said, Ian Gottfriedson has the best eye 
in handball, which is a very good call. And uh, I also said with the team we have, we can move mountains. And I was like, that's very well thought out in English. Then he, as they do, they ask him for the statement in Swedish. He said the exact same thing. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure either he thought as he was saying it, this is gold. I'm going to repeat this in Swedish. Or he had a pre-planned out. I don't know. Either way, brilliant performance from Sweden. And uh, now we have a repeat of the final from 2018, which was not one of the classic finals. It was a great comeback win for uh, Spain on that occasion in Zagreb. So now we now Spain have kind of showed their hand. It's kind of like they've uh, like yeah we're not here we're not you know this below average team we actually you know we prepare properly for these occasions and we're ready to take them on. Spain also beat Sweden in quite a preliminary round four goals comfortable win. Both teams have gone on a loop de loop of of form since then. Sweden got even worse for a moment and then picked things up in the main round. And have been, well, five wins in a row speaks for itself. Spain have had a dodgy campaign, but now have burst back into life with that masterful, masterful performance. What do you think uh, the coaches will be doing to to set this up again? How how do you how do you approach this? I I have no idea what Jordi Rivera is going to come out with. Um, I have a feeling they might go with a five-one defense. Mm for large periods of the game um, to throw off Jacob Gottfriedsson. So to beat Sweden, you need to somehow stop Guillaume Gottfriedsson. And if there's one man to figure out how to do that, mm. that is Jordi Ribera. Um, they could go with a very similar approach, I think. Um, I, I suppose it's not play into Sweden's hands then because then Glenn Solberg has seen what they've done to Denmark. That's what I mean. Now they've shown their hand. Of what they can, what they can do to a team like that when they prepare for every man. So, so it's actually what I'm saying. It's a similar approach, but it's it's it would be the flipped version of it, which I don't know what it is. Yeah. So basically, um, Sweden start everything with Jim Godfrieson, mm. and you have to stop him. With Denmark. Um, you, they start everything with Hansen, but yeah. you really have to stop the finisher. Yeah. In this case, Giesel. Giesel yeah. So now Spain have to figure out how to ensure that Gottfriedsen doesn't get into a rhythm. Um, yeah. France tried that with Konku at yeah. 5-1, but Konku, uh, as fast, he can be as fast as you like, or any defender can be as fast as you like, but Gottfriedsen will beat the crap out of you. Like he just, as soon as he's allowed a couple of meters to run with the ball, he has the physicality and the brains to, to beat them. Uh, and so they have to figure out who is going to come out because Alex Gomez is not big enough to take him on. He might be quick enough, but was, I think as soon as Gofferson, he, he I think he's happy to take it. Well, we saw he's happy to take on two defenders over and over again. Yeah, but never mind one. And I think. But in that semi final, Spain had Canaeus as yeah, the, that could be uh, the, the, the player that was stepping forward. So yeah. this time he did it on the left side. It might be Kunez on the right side, which would be be great. (laughs) That would be two balls, you know, uh, locking horns. 12-round boxing fight. That would be great. Yeah. Spain basically need to replicate what they achieved and stopping the attack or stopping stopping their opposition. And then, like, they will need some inspired individual performances again. Like, that attack nine times out of ten 
wouldn't be good enough to do what they did yesterday. They'll have to figure. They'll have to find the solutions there, which could be the big problem for them. Um, so, what do Sweden need to do to ensure they win? So they need to take care of the ball. Mm. So they can't give Spain the opportunity to uh, fast break, and especially, uh, I, I would be really annoyed if I was Nikola Jakobsen uh, coming out of that semi final because Spain got four goals from the fast restart after a goal. Mm. Which is criminal, and you know Spain are very good at that. Alex Gomez is lightning fast, but you can't you can't concede for them when you know that's what they're going to do. So Sweden need to, yeah, just slow down even more. Mm. But the thing is, we saw against France, they weren't really able to slow down. No. The, the France pushed the pace, and um, Sweden kind of kept up with them. Um, I think. If they get into a battle of fixed attacks, Sweden will come out on top. And even in the transition attack and defense there, Sweden's approach with six men going both way could be really beneficial there because they won't have to swap over, which creates fewer gaps for Spain and the, the, the quick start. And Spain getting two men in in defense eventually mm. uh, will be difficult as well. So that could be a, a key factor there. But uh, the feeling it'll be another incredible goalkeeper battle as well. <laughs> could be. That uh, is it's set up really nicely. And both teams, I mean, Sweden, all three of the Sweden's goalkeepers have provided some really good stuff so far. Palika had the lowest percentage of the three going into the <laughs> semi-final and look what he did. Yeah. So I, I was almost certain if this was the, was the pairing who I thought would win it. Now I, re- I think it's Sweden have this, this small advantage here, but it's really hard to, to be certain. A question we've gotten so many times um, throughout this championship, previous championship, is why do we keep underestimating Spain? But I just <laughs> want to answer that straight away because their attack is just not that good. <laughs> like, you know, their whole tournament has yeah. not been that good. They they beat Czech Republic by two goals. They beat Bosnia by four goals. They squeezed out a win against Russia. They squeezed out a win against Poland. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, by all logic, you have to assume that Spain aren't going to win everything. By, by all evidence, their attack yeah. hasn't been good. But when they can enter a flow state like they have in the semi-final you know they're unbeatable but it's it's you can't just assume that they're going to just enter that flow yeah. state so it was the same two years ago you, you underestimate them until they they reach the final and then they're the favorites yeah. again and then they're like ah oh, well it's Spain in the final look at what they did in the semi-final it's uh that's really hard to know what they like it feels again like it's unsustainable until they sustain it. Yeah. And then it's like, well, of course they did. It's a, it's, it's a mindfuck. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sick of Spain. What, <laughs> <laughs> sick of them. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> the bronze medal match could have been the final. Could have also been the, well, not the fifth, sixth place playoff match. That's what I was thinking about Norway, Iceland yesterday. I was like, this could have actually been a semi-final. Easy. This was two goals away, one goal in each game away from being semi-final but it wasn't um yeah it could have been a final Denmark France both teams kind of getting their comeuppance for uh, 
that end of the main round. Yeah. Uh, all of, I guess, Iceland, uh, everyone in Iceland went to the, uh, what are they called? The, in the Eurovision film. Oh, the, the elves. elves <laughs> to the, the elves and, <laughs> and prayed for a Spanish victory. <laughs> the Spanish victory and a Swedish victory so that those two teams who screwed over Iceland would end up in the bronze medal match. Yeah. Who knows? Who cares at this point? Who cares? On that note, <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be back with the final podcast after the final. We may do it live. We'll see if we can all be in the same place. And we'll be going through the final, of course, the bronze medal game a little bit, depending on how it goes. And we'll do our own individual EHF Euro awards and i think we should we post the post them out on social media as well so people can give their uh suggestions you have the the list here for us yeah i i think it's probably some of these awards need a bit of an explanation Mm. um like just posting who is the adrian shiposh award for excellence and shithousery yeah i mean that's, is a that's, pretty tough one for, one for a lot of players that's one for the uh that's <laughs> one for the hardcore fans uh but we we will maybe we'll post them and post the previous winners out today during the day on saturday and so people can give us their suggestions and then we'll uh we'll talk through them and give out the awards which is always a fun way to end the championship how about that yeah let's try that and until then everyone thank you enjoy the final and we'll talk to you afterwards goodbye mm-hmm.